1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Preventing illness is one of the most important priorities of physicians, and one of the best ways to do that is through immunizations. We're going to address some of the most common vaccination concerns this morning with our special guest, Dr. Sandy Feldman. We'd also love to hear your questions this morning, so give us a call. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to teens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio.
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Donald Trump suggests he is open to the CIA revising its policies on the use of torture when it comes to interrogating terrorism suspects. NPR Scott Detrow reports from Philadelphia top Republicans in Congress do not want to see that debate. President Trump has said time and time again that he thinks waterboarding and other forms of so-called enhanced interrogation are effective. Members of Trump's cabinet, including Defense Secretary James Mattis, disagree. Some of the top Republicans in Congress. Ahead of a meeting with President Trump, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said CIA Director Mike Pompeo has vowed to follow the law. I
3: believe virtually all of my members are comfortable with the state of the law on that issue now. And torture is illegal. And torture is not legal. So, and we agree with it not being legal.
2: That was House Speaker Paul Ryan as well. Ryan McConnell and the rest of congressional Republicans are in Philadelphia to map out their agenda for the coming year. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Philadelphia. One of the British government's senior officials is also condemning any notion of approving the use of torture. David Davis, who is tasked with overseeing the U.K.'s exit from the European Union, told Parliament today Britain does not condone torture, quote, under any circumstances whatsoever, end quote. The Prime Minister, Theresa May, is slated to address U.S. Congressional Republicans in Philadelphia ahead of her meeting with President Trump. The Russian and Turkish governments are waiting to see what becomes of the Trump administration's pledge to set up safe zones for civilians in Syria. Moscow and Ankara had said such plans would require careful consideration. Trump has said European countries made a mistake in granting sanctuary to millions of Syrian refugees. But advocates say there were few options to save the lives of Syrians who were escaping heavy bombardment by Syrian troops and their Russian allies on rebel-held enclaves of Aleppo and elsewhere. Back in the U.S., sales of new homes fell in December by more than 10 percent. The Commerce Department saying today mortgage rates have been on the rise since President Donald Trump's election, which could be hurting affordability. We have the latest from NPR's Yuki Noguchi.
4: New home sales fell 10.4% in December, which was a sharper pullback in the market than Wall Street was expecting. But over all of last year, sales of new homes increased 12.2 percent over 2015. Economists expect those sales to increase again this year as builders boost construction. But expectation of regulation and tax cuts are also causing interest rates to rise, affecting home affordability for many potential buyers who have seen home prices increase steadily. More buyers may continue to be priced out of the market as
2: mortgage rates rise. Yuki Noguchi, NPR News. Washington. At last, check on Wall Street. The Dow is up 30 points. This is NPR News. We've just confirmed that the president of Mexico is canceling his January 31st trip to the United States after President Trump and the GOP Majority Congress confirmed plans to move forward with construction of a wall at the U.S. southern border. Trump had said that Mexico would have to agree to pay for it. Otherwise, a meeting with Mexican leader Enrique Peña Nieto would be scrapped. Yet though, acted first today. Gambia's new president, who was sworn in a week ago in neighboring Senegal, is expected to be back home today. NPR's Ophabia Quistarkin reports his planned return comes days after his predecessor finally agreed to step down and leave Gambia, permitting the first peaceful transfer of power in the tiny West African country. Gambians are enthusiastic about the return of their new president, Adama Barrow. For security reasons, regional leaders had him moved across the border to Senegal, where Barrow's inauguration took place at the Gambian embassy last week. Gambia's allies want Barrow to take control back home to avoid a power vacuum after outgoing President Yahya Jame reluctantly left for exile in Equatorial Guinea. Barrow faces huge challenges after 22 years of defiant Jami's repressive rule. Several thousand West African troops in Gambia will guard Barrow, who will reportedly remain at his own home pending a full security sweep for potential risks at State House, Gambia's presidential compound. Offer Stockton, NPR News, Johannesburg. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow was up 31 points at 20,099. S&P's down one, Nasdaq is off three points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News, in Washington.
5: Support for NPR comes from Constant Contact, committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits succeed with email marketing. Working to help organizations meet their goals through personalized marketing help via phone, seminars, and webinars. More at ConstantContact.com. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show kids at MPBonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC, and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Immunizations are one of the most basic components of pediatric care, yet it can be both overwhelming and confusing for patients to understand. Sometimes, why do we give so many vaccines? What about those specific schedules? We'll be discussing vaccinations today with our special guest, Dr. Sandy Feldman. And as usual, we'll be talking, taking your questions and comments, so you can call us this morning at 1-877-MPB ring. That's 1-877-6727464. Or you can email us at kids and teens at MPB Online. Dot org. Well I hope everybody is having a a great morning so far. It's uh, a little bit chilly outside. It's quite a difference from uh, what we had earlier in the week. You know that Mississippi January weather. Uh my sister lives in Chicago uh and uh, certainly a lot colder now. She's a big city girl from small town Mississippi and uh she's fond of of uh of looking at pictures of my kids and and um, you know sort of jabbing at them it was like why do they have their shirt off in december i said well you forget what the weather's like in december sometimes it's hot uh so you never know what you're going to get but uh you know just prepare for that certainly uh, from a child's standpoint uh If you've got uh, kids like mine who want to wear shorts to school all year long, uh, just uh, look at those weather forecasts because they are changing fast. We've got our special guest with us, Dr. Sandy Fellman, uh, professor of pediatrics and infectious disease, who is now uh, working with the health department. I always get your title wrong, Dr. Fellman, so you're going to have to remind me about that.
6: Oh, there's too many titles. I wouldn't worry about (laughs) it.
1: So Dr. Fellman has been on with us before. We're glad to have him back as we talk about uh, a subject that can be confusing. It certainly uh, can be uh, uh, something that uh, that we do often in pediatrics. And uh, anytime you have a a child, uh, one of the things that we look for is trying to prevent diseases, particularly those that they uh, that are preventable. And we've talked about that in different ways as, uh, over the years here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Certainly, lots of good common things that you can do hygiene wise and we've done some systemic things and vaccinations is one of those things that hits two big areas it's the individual patient because you're trying to protect them and then it's a, a, you're looking at the entire uh, population of, of patients too as you try to, to decrease disease in that uh, in that population so you know one of the first questions that come up is how do vaccines work i mean what's how does that happen
6: well what vaccines do basically is let you develop protection against the vaccine preventable disease in other words um when you got measles naturally back in the 40s uh, you developed an immunity and you never got measles again sort of end of the story well, vaccines essentially, for the most part, do the same thing. They expose you to the organism in a way in which it's not going to hurt you, but in fact will let you build protection against, um, against the, the particular bacteria or germ or organism. You know, and many vaccines, some work better than others. Take polio, for example. I mean, basically, we've almost eliminated polio worldwide through the polio vaccine. there there are no cases of polio in this country for over 30 or 40 years um and actually polio for example is down to two countries in the world um pakistan and and that's
1: amazing endeavor if you think about it i mean that's that's really something and if you've there's still patients uh that are around who have have uh, had polio had wild type polio you know not many of them anymore but uh in this country at least but you know that's something that uh, could be debilitating for people absolutely and uh, but that's a that's a great success you're right
6: another one is smallpox we don't even have smallpox anymore any place in the world and the vaccine is what helped eliminate uh smallpox
1: so so certainly you're using the body's own immune system to uh really take an advantage of how well our immune systems work when they're exposed to something and, and as, you, as you said, trying to do that in a way that you don't want to expose them to all the negative effects of the disease. But it's really having the immune system recognize, hey, this is a bad disease. You need to protect yourself you know, from it, and uh, and it uh, does everything that it does naturally uh, to do that and but without all the the negative side effects of uh, getting sick and, and sometime, in some cases with some diseases, death. And and also, you know, there's a lot of lot of uh discussion right now. In fact, I I saw, you know, Ebola was a big scare several years ago, still very debilitating for countries in, in sub Saharan Africa. Uh and I believe there's now a vaccine in the works for that because of all the you know the bad players. In fact, there was a lot of scare with Ebola, you know, uh traveling outside of Africa to other countries, including the US. Uh, But I see that they have a uh, pretty decent vaccine in the works for that, for those countries that are affected.
6: Yeah, and they're always trying to develop vaccines for diseases that affect uh, the population. Ebola, Zika virus is one of the new ones that they're trying to develop a vaccine. Because Zika, for example, just like the German measles, affects the newborn baby. I mean, back in the old days, before we had the German measles vaccine, there were thousands of infants born with congenital rubella, which means they had heart disease, they had brain disease, they had small brains, they had deformities. And because we've eliminated that in this country, I think in the last couple of years, for example, there have only been two children born with congenital rubella syndrome, and they weren't from the United States. They happened to be born to pregnant women who were in this country and had developed rubella wherever they came from and it's the same now with zika virus we're attempting to get vaccines to prevent the effect again of that it has on uh, the newborns
1: yeah it, certainly you know we we see a lot of those historically you can see a lot of those um, uh, um accomplishments that we've had in decreasing those diseases and we tend to as a you know as a country we tend to forget about those uh, just because We're sort of a victim of our own own successes in a lot of ways. When when we don't see a lot of those, uh, you know, cases of things, uh, you tend to forget about them.
6: Yeah, I mean, another example is the hepatitis B vaccine. Now, if you get hepatitis B as a child, basically you're going to die in your 20s or 30s of -hmm. liver failure. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've basically eliminated that in this country is by the use of the hepatitis B vaccine in newborns and in the first few months of life. So you're protected against hepatitis B, which, again, if you went to China, Taiwan and some of those countries in the Far East, they have massive number of deaths from hepatitis B in infants. And we virtually have none in this country.
1: So a lot of success is there from vaccines. Um so one of the you know I, we wanted to address some common concerns that parents have when they come in uh and let me let me say this too from a pediatrician standpoint um i love questions uh questions really uh they they introduce things that people are saying you know oftentimes you go to the physician uh, and you're a little bit uh, you're a little bit stressed you want to get everything you know uh, you want to get all your questions answered while you're there but you forget something you know I encourage families a lot of times if they have a lot of questions to write them down, bring them into the to the office so that we can address those. But you want your physician to be open to to those questions that you have or concerns that you have. And there are some common ones, particularly around this uh, topic of vaccinations that come up frequently and they should come up as parents. I mean, parents should be well informed uh, about. Uh, some of the the uh, reasons why their child is getting some things now. Actually, just just talked to a uh, to a mom in the studio here who said, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, tell me when I have to come in, and I'll just come in and get them. Uh, but you should be, you know, you should be uh, um, educated about uh, the things that that might be going on, uh, why that they're you're vaccinated against things and. Uh, and and have a chance to answer those questions and to receive some information about why those vaccines are important so we're going to address some of those questions this morning um, so one one that's common is why so many you know the, the if you look at the particularly the first two years of life they're uh, you know depending on the vaccinations you can get up to i think 29 uh, different uh, vaccinations uh, at, when you go in for a routine, uh, uh, well child check. So why do we have so many vaccinations?
6: Well, the main reason is if you look at the diseases you're preventing, where children die from these diseases is in the first two years of life. For example, whooping cough. Um, and there are deaths throughout this country every year from whooping cough. It occurs almost invariably in infants less than two or three months of age. And um There is good evidence that if you give the whooping cough vaccine to a two-month-old, even though it's only one dose, he will get not necessarily 100% protection from the disease, but he's less likely to have severe disease. And if you look at the other things that are in the vaccine, um, for example, uh, Hib meningitis, that occurs basically in infants. Pneumococcal uh, vaccine we give is again because meningitis and pneumonia occurs in young infants. Four-year-olds and five-year-olds don't get it that much, where you basically see it is in the young infants. So the whole idea is to give the young infants who are at the highest risk for these vaccine-preventable killing diseases, in effect, they are killing children, um, we give the vaccine so we can protect them against this. And that's why we don't see any mortality or very little mortality in this country from any of these diseases. And, you know, as long as we continue along that same path and basically encourage vaccination for everybody, we're going to protect everybody. I mean, you reach a point where if not everybody is protected, then you get loopholes in the system and then you get outbreaks of diseases. And we've seen this in this country a couple of years ago, for example, there were 10 or more deaths in Los Angeles in, uh, with whooping cough. Every one of them was in young infants who were unimmunized. We even had a death in this state several years ago. It was in a family in which none of the parents were vaccinated. They were anti-vaccine. The three-year-old picked up the pertussis. Um, The father picked up pertussis. The mother picked up pertussis. They all survived. The father had to be hospitalized. But the young infant, they had a two-month-old infant. That infant died of whooping cough, basically because... Nobody was vaccinated and that child wasn't protected. So we want to give these vaccines as early as possible to protect the infants, against what can be a fatal disease. And and a lot
1: of those uh, you mentioned, you know, you may get some immunity with that first dose, right. but a lot of them to ensure 100. Well, as close as you can get to 100 percent. Um, you give multiple doses over time to help the immune system recognize that and say, okay, I need to beef up my defenses against this.
6: Correct. And, and again, that's why we give them at an early age. And, again, one dose doesn't prevent everything. Right. But it does generally tend to make things somewhat milder. So if you are one of the unfortunate ones to get it, it will at least be a little milder. But the best protection is by that whole series, and again, you want to protect in the first two years of life, because that's when most of the devastating, killing, vaccine-preventable diseases tend to occur.
1: We're talking about vaccination concerns this morning with our special guest, Dr. Sandy Feldman, and uh, we'd love to hear from you this morning. We're going to be addressing some other common uh, concerns about vaccinations that we hear in clinic, but... You have certainly got a lot of time to call in with any kind of uh, question that you might have. The number to call this morning is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at teens at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break and be right back.
0: Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about garden and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio.
5: can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart here with Dr. Sandy Feldman. And we're talking about common vaccination concerns that patients and their families might have when they come in for their routine checkups or any time for that matter. We would love to hear any concerns that you might have or questions that uh, maybe that uh, you've been thinking about. You can give us a call this morning at one 877 ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send us an email to kids and teens at MPB org so we were talking about you know just how how many vaccinations there are and there's sort of the rationale behind that about protecting against all those different diseases and they tend to affect young infants more they they're the ones that are at the most risk during that time uh, so it brings up another you know another uh, 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 thing that people ask a a good bit is you know what uh, what's the difference between a local reaction because a lot of time reactions sometimes you can be confused about whether that's a side effect or not what are some of the common reactions and what's the difference between a reaction and an an adverse side effect
6: well just uh, to bring up a point when we give multiple injections they've been looked at in numerous studies not one study but many studies to make sure when you have several injections for example that you don't increase the side effects or the adverse events Um, so when we give for example at two months several shots all these have been looked at over time to make sure there is no adverse or serious events occurring just because you gave multiple shots and in most cases The evidence, for example, for the two-month-old infant, it almost doesn't matter whether he gets two shots or three shots or four shots. The side effects that are going to occur are the same as if he just got one shot. And, for example, the common side effects are redness at the injection site, some swelling, some pain, some discomfort, some sort of general feeling just not good because you've got uh, a vaccination. And those are common side effects. They're all very self-limited. They tend to disappear in, you know, a relatively short period of time. Some get fever with it. And most of the time, the fever you get is relatively mild fever, um, you can use Tylenol or whatever you want to use. Sometimes you don't even have to use that because it's mm-hmm. going to tend to to disappear. And so,
1: that's, that's another question, too, is will Tylenol interfere with how my child, you know, with the vaccination that my child's getting?
6: That's been looked at for mm-hmm. many, many years, way back in the old days when we were using aspirin. And it really doesn't interfere with the response to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I mean, all it does is some parents even give it the day the child gets the immunization, or before they get the immunization, right? As far as the vaccination goes, it's immaterial. It may help with some of the side effects, but it doesn't interfere with your response. Yeah. So doing that again, if that's what the parents want to do or the doctor wants to recommend, that's fine. It doesn't have any ad doesn't have any side effects of giving that vaccine. Yeah. Uh, in the immunization, in terms of adverse events. They tend to be things which are obviously relatively unusual and very uncommon. And, you know, it's hard to define an adverse event. I mean, the worst adverse event that you would have would be a death. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that. Vaccines prevent deaths, don't cause deaths. Mm -hmm. And again, some of the, quote, adverse events that have been looked at, for example, people blamed autism um, on an adverse event from a vaccine. Well, that's been looked at and it's been shown time and time again in not one study, not 10 studies, but many studies and in many different countries, in Europe, here, Canada, et cetera, that autism is not related to the vaccines at all. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the original study was found to be bogus. The guy sort of invented the data. He skewed the patients so that he picked patients who he knew were going to have... Um, uh, autism, you know, and all that kind of thing. And all that was sort of blown out of the water in in numerous studies. The old days when there was mercury in the vaccine and people were worried about that. Actually, it turned out that the mercury in the vaccine is not the mercury that causes poison in the first place. Right. Um, But they withdrew it. So these types of adverse events are looked at and don't really not related to the immunizations.
1: So I want to talk more about sort of the monitoring system that we have. But first, let's go to Shelley in Long Beach, who has a question. Good morning, Shelley.
0: Good morning. Thank you for calling. I'm just, thank you. I am just joining you, you gentlemen. So I'm not sure if this has been addressed, but my daughter and granddaughter have recently moved in with me. My granddaughter is 10 months old. And I'm now a partial caretaker for that precious baby. And I was wondering if I needed to get a whooping cough booster since I am around her.
6: The answer is 100% yes. And let me give you reasons why it's important. For example, that whooping cough germ is out there. People have whooping cough germ and don't bat an eyelash. They don't get sick. Maybe they'll get a mild cough. But what happens is... In those who are unimmunized or underimmunized, if they get exposed to somebody who's carrying that germ, and again, they may not have any symptoms, um, they can get whooping cough. And that's what we've seen in basically whooping cough deaths that occur is because the child gets exposed to somebody who's not necessarily sick with it. They may be, but not necessarily. And uh, they gave it to the susceptible young infant. And you as a grandparent... Um, should be protected against whooping cough because you don't want to even expose your your children. So protecting the parents and that um, is one of the, by protecting the parents, that's one way of protecting the children uh, from whooping cough, which again is out there.
1: Yeah. And, and Shelley, that's, you know, a concept that it's a little bit difficult to understand sometimes is herd immunity. So that's exactly what we're talking about. So by everybody, right, right. Uh, yeah, by everybody around that child being protected. Um, and, and that's something that the, actually, you know, if you're expecting a child, a lot of times I, I know a lot of uh, OBGYNs will, when they meet with you, um, uh, an expected mother will say that, you know, everybody who's going to be around the child probably needs to get uh, a, a booster of that um, uh, before that child is born. And, and it is, you know, it does bring up some other things about their, the, these diseases. They may not, because of immunity that most people have, you may not see them, but they don't go away completely. A lot of them do, but some right. of them don't. So that's a great question. And uh, so yeah, our recommendation... I ask
3: you,
6: yeah, go ahead.
0: I'm, I'm sorry. Where can I get that at the health department? Do I go to my primary care physician?
6: And and you could have several choices side effects for me okay you have several choices and one the easiest choice is either your physician or the pharmacy you know walgreens oh. walmart you name it they all have that vaccine and they can give it to adults and it's actually not a very even a oh. very, very expensive vaccine um
1: Health departments would carry that one, too, though. Oh, actually, they don't. Okay. I didn't know that. So, okay. Not for adults. Okay. For, for kids, but not for adults. For adults.
6: Uh, as Term side effects, probably almost nil. You may get soreness in the arm. You may get a little redness, but you're not going to get sick. You're not going to start coughing. You're not going to run fever or headaches or anything like that. Okay.
0: Well, that is such good information, and I'm definitely going to follow through with that.
1: All right, thank you Shelley thank you for, for calling yeah so so that's another question that comes up um about if you know if I don't see if we don't see these diseases out there, why are we still immunizing against them? and I think it goes back to what you said these a lot of these diseases, like whooping cough is a good example. it's there in the environment right. uh and it can be transferred from person to person without those symptoms of full blown whooping cough you know being there. Um, and that's, that's not just whooping cough. There's other diseases like that that can lay dormant within the population and come out.
6: Now, pneumococcus is one of those in which we give what they call the PCV13, which is, again, 13 strains. Well, those strains are all out there. And, again, many people carry it in their nose. Um, and They don't even have any symptoms of it. But should they expose a susceptible, particularly young infant, that's where you wind up seeing meningitis. Um, so there are many of those germs are out there. Chickenpox virus, for example, is out there. Every time somebody has shingles, they basically are shedding mm-hmm. chickenpox virus all over the place
1: yeah and and uh let's talk about that in just a second, but uh we're talking about vaccine common vaccine concerns, and I would love to hear any that you have. We want to thank Shelley for calling. You can call with yours at one eight seven seven m p b ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can email us at kids and teens at m p b online Dot org so, so let's take chickenpox, for example. So, you know, we normally we don't immunize for chickenpox uh, until one year of age, until after 12 months of age. Uh, so what happens, say, if you have an infant that's under 12 months of age and you have somebody in the family, maybe a grandparent, a friend who has shingles, uh, is there some risk there to that infant about getting that?
6: Yes, the answer is yes. Again, you've got to think of sort of the... Uh, Charlie Pigpen cartoon of him shedding or Charlie Brown cartoon of shedding all this stuff off his skin. And that's what happens with shingles. So when you have a grandparent, for example, with shingles, um, the grandparent needs to stay away from the unimmunized infant um, and as well as cover it up, mm-hmm. you know, protected with gauze or clothing or whatever. Um, The reason we give the chickenpox vaccine at one year of age and not earlier is you don't respond to that virus uh, vaccine as if you're a young infant, that you get the maximum response at about one year of age. And we can't give it to younger infants because they just don't get any benefit of it. Yeah. And that's,
1: you know, that's another reason why you get certain vaccines at certain times. I know a lot of some parents, uh, not a lot, but some parents would... You know, ask. Well, can I do this on a different schedule? Um, You mentioned earlier. You know, uh, the side effect issue with different vaccines because we we do combine a lot of vaccines. Just because you know, if you if you uh, had individual vaccinations against each thing that you're vaccinating against, uh, you're talking about six, seven vaccinations sometimes at one sitting. That's a lot of shots. So to try to decrease the amount of pain. Uh, There's been a lot of study into, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, combine some of those together. But there's also a timing issue, as you mentioned, with some of those uh, to gain the maximum immunity.
6: Yeah, again, the the timing is important and the whole schedule is based on the idea of having the maximum prevention of the vaccine-preventable diseases. And again, the use of combination vaccines has made a big difference because it's been shown that, in fact, the combination vaccines, there may be some increase in the redness and the swelling, et cetera, no terms of serious adverse events or side effects, but it does cut down on the number of shots and you're able to give more protection at an earlier age, which is when you want it.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know I always tell my my parents uh, to me, uh, you know most of the time two month old when they get vaccinations, and I start telling them about how many that they'll be getting and the you know how many actual shots that'll be. Um, you know it's usually the best time for the baby, it's the worst time for the parent. The, every parent winces with that. You know when you think about that pain, but you're thinking about protection long term and. And actually, most patients do really well with that. It's the 15-year-olds that you have to watch out for. Uh, Those teenagers will pitch a fit uh, in the room. Let's go to Mike, who's on the road. Good morning, Mike. Are you there, Mike? Yes. Oh, thank you for calling. What's your question for us today?
3: I had um, a physical. I'm an over-the-road truck driver, and I get a regular physical, but they don't give me uh, blood work and all that. So I went in and got blood work. On my own, and uh, I it came back that I have Hep C.
1: How, how old are you, Mike? Sixty-two. Sixty-two. Okay. Yeah. And so you're questioning about what to do with that, or? Yes. Okay. I, Good. What's
3: the best route to
1: take? So, uh, so uh, yeah. So that's part. Probably they they tested it because of a new screening rationale for Hepatitis C. So hepatitis C is a virus that um, similar uh, to some of the side effects of hepatitis B uh, in that it can cause long-term liver damage, uh, leading to sometimes cirrhosis and sometimes liver cancer. Um, We have some treatments for that now that are are fairly successful. The main thing is knowing it's there and what to do, particularly from reducing some of the other things that could harm your liver. So because it can hang out for decades uh, in your bloodstream and in your liver, and you would not know a thing. You don't have any symptoms with it. Um, That's what the doctor told me. Right, right, exactly. So it could have been there for who knows how long, uh, and uh, and you really don't know it's there until some bad things happen but knowing it's there you can go ahead and do some preventative th- measures and surveillance of that and we recently um, started looking for this in the general population just because it, it sits silent for so long and then we don't want patients to suddenly um, show up with you know full-blown cirrhosis or, or liver cancer so it's a good thing. I, Mike, I know that's sort of a scary thing for people to get that news sometimes if they tested positive for something like that, but it's something that your doctor can use to uh, you know, to make sure you're not having some of those complications or at least limiting some of those complications as time goes on. But I've, you know, I've seen patients that, you know, had it for 20 or 30 years and they lived out their life uh, with a normal life expectancy and didn't have any problems with it. Uh, other people, you know, did, but it's nice to know about it up front so that you can try to prevent those.
3: Well, there there are cures for it. Uh, I, I looked up online and found a doctor in my hometown, and he said I can't come in to see him without a referral.
1: Yeah, that's probably a gastroenterologist, I'm guessing, because uh, most of them are right. the ones who have that. And sometimes there'll be hepatitis clinics that specialize in in the treatment of not only hepatitis c but from other other types of hepatitis so there are some specific medications where you can eradicate that or at least decrease the amount of virus that's in your system so i would check that out for sure i would check with your main doctor first and make sure that you know that you would qualify for that and maybe get a referral over there so that they can start seeing you and see if some of those medications might uh my
3: my primary care doctor passed away last year oh i'm
1: sorry to hear that
3: and i haven't found another doctor yet and i Everybody says to find a young man so that it won't happen
1: again. <laughs> that's right <laughs> well, there may be a trade off in wisdom over time, but uh yeah you you need to you need to probably need to find somebody Mike well, thanks for calling and uh, good luck Atlanta to you
3: area do you have any ideas or a known clinic or anything
1: well i specifically for primary care or for for the hep C oh for hep C yeah there there's several around I know uh, most uh gastrointestinal groups do specialize in that, uh University of Mississippi does have one they have a hepatitis clinic where they see uh, hepatitis uh, C patients, so that's yeah that's certainly something that you can check out I'm pretty sure at UMC they they are going to you know require a referral to most places would uh and it's it, you know regardless of the hepatitis C, you probably need to. To uh, establish, you know, somebody that can be your your doctor on a routine basis. Okay, thank uh, you so much. Sure, thanks for calling, Mike. Yeah, some of those things, you know, can uh, can pop up that you need to to have some screening for. Hepatitis C. It, we haven't always screened for that. Um, you know, a lot of people in the past, have it's popped up on uh, routine blood screening uh, when donating blood. So we're uh, talking about vaccination concerns this morning. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to go to Linda in Port Gibson. If you have a concern or a question about vaccinations, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464.
3: Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio.
5: Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners.
2: Are you someone who talks about how great public radio is, but you're still not a donor? Rather than wait for the next pledge drive, you can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle. Donate it today. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. And thank you.
5: Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Feldman talking about vaccination concerns. So one of the most common things that patients ask about and uh, they should ask about in a normal visit about the vaccination of their kids Got a lot of good questions so far. We're going to go to uh, to Linda in just a second. But if you have any questions that you would like addressed this morning on vaccinations or any other health issue related to the health of your children or family, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Are you there, Linda?
3: Yes, I am.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you for calling.
0: Yes, um, I had shingles about a year ago, and uh, I was told that I need to take a shingle shot. However, I need to take uh, a pneumonia shot, tetanus shot, and uh TV shot, I guess. Uh, can I just uh, kill one bird and uh, two birds and one stone and take all the shots at the same time?
1: Linda, do you mind at me? I, I never like to ask this question on the air of, of uh, a female, but how old are you? Oh, I don't
0: mind. I'm 58 years old.
1: 58. Okay, 58. Yeah, yeah so so those are some of the recommended vaccines. Actually, one of them you mentioned, uh, I don't believe, is is one that, that there is one overseas mainly that you can get that's not too effective. But I believe you mentioned a, a TB vaccine. Yes. Okay. Dr. Feldman, do you want to?
6: Well, yeah. The the recommendation, for example, by the Centers for Disease Control in adults would be that the pneumococcal vaccine, which you mentioned, the pneumonia vaccine, is basically age 60. So if you're 58, you could wait a couple of years. Um, And depending upon what your insurance is, it would be better covered if you're over 60 when you get it. As far as the shingles vaccine, um, again, the recommendation is even for people who've had shingles. Have had shingles. Yeah, is to go ahead and get the vaccine. And again, in terms of coverage... Um, If you're over 60, the coverage is better than if you're under 60. My wife had shingles when she was in her 40s, and she went ahead and got the shingles vaccine. And, of course, we had to pay for that out of pocket because it wasn't covered by insurance. But technically, the shingles vaccine, you can wait until um, age 60. Mm -hmm. In terms of the TB vaccine... Tetanus, Oh, yes. tetanus, okay. That's the whooping cough vaccine. Yeah. And basically, it's recommended for all adults. So you can it's get that.
0: Diabetes.
6: Yeah, well, that's even more important. You can go ahead and you can get that at any age. It's actually the whooping cough, diphtheria, and tetanus vaccine combined. But you can yeah, get I that now.
0: That, uh, I understand that. Uh, Without insurance, that shingle shot is two hundred and fifty dollars.
6: You're right about that,
1: and that's probably on the lower end of it. uh, It can be higher than that.
6: Right. But again, you have to check with your
0: insurance, Blue Cross Blue Shield, to see. What's the coverage? You know about two thousand
6: seventeen, right? Ask them about what the coverage would be when you hit age sixty, because that might make a difference.
1: Yeah, and, and Linda, you can you can usually if you if you can go online or you've got somebody that can go online for you to look at that, they'll usually have uh, you know if you look under immunizations on their website, they'll give you you know under your plan now. In every Blue Cross Blue Shield, everybody you know says that there's multiple plans within Blue Cross Blue Shield, so. Sort of have to know that too. Sometimes you can go to your pharmacist, and they can tell you this. They can look it up and say, "Well, these are the things that uh, that your pharmacies—I mean, that your uh, you know your insurance is going to pay for." Uh, I think you were sort of asking too, Linda, and uh, that can you get all those at the same time? The answer is yes. Uh, now, the pneumococcal or the pneumonia vaccine, we do have a recommendation now that there are two different types of that that you will need. Uh, that are uh, dependent on which one you've gotten, you know, that you get first, it's six months to a year that you have to wait in between those. So there will be sort of a booster of that uh, to maximize your immunity. Uh, But at the first round, you can get all those at once. The, The shingles vaccine is different, and most clinics do not give that. And actually, it's a little bit easier sometime, particularly with Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, to get that at a pharmacy. Um, and you can go to the pharmacy and say, hey, I'd like to get this, and they'll run your insurance through, and they can just give it right there. So that's something to keep in mind, too. It's a complicated thing, but a lot of this is driven by insurance and what they'll pay for, when they'll pay for it. Uh, and it doesn't always – usually it lines up with what the recommendations are, but sometimes it
6: doesn't. One One thing also to keep in mind, if you go to a pharmacy or wherever – is make sure you mention that you have diabetes because sometimes oh, that's good. Yeah, they have my Oh, good, because that can sometimes change the coverage and change when you can get the vaccine.
1: Yeah, and Linda, what we know about diabetes, which you probably know too, is that you know it does increase your risk for certain uh, infectious diseases. So it might change when you can get those things on your on your insurance.
0: But thank you so much for answering
1: my questions. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. And you have a nice day. You too. We're talking about vaccination concerns this morning with our special guest, Dr. Feldman. And we'd love to hear from you this morning. Got lots of good questions about different vaccination uh, types and all kinds of concerns. also also going over some of the main ones that we hear in Clinic on a day to day basis, you can give us a call this morning with your questions about vaccinations at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Carol in Vicksburg. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for calling.
0: Have, yeah, thank you. Um I have another question on the shingles
4: vaccine. I had uh, chickenpox uh, as a youngster and then uh, shingles, I guess I was in my late 30s, I'm now 70, and
0: I've avoided getting the vaccine because I didn't want a recurrence. It was my understanding that it's a live vaccine. What What is the likelihood of um, having another episode of shingles?
6: Virtually zero from the vaccine. I mean, studies have looked at that and um it'd be really really rare for somebody to get the shingles vaccine and then go ahead and get shingles from the vaccine so yeah so that the fact that you've had shingles in the past and you've had chickenpox in the past um you get the vaccine you shouldn't have any evidence of shingles you may get some reaction to the vaccine which everybody can get but other than that it won't sort of explode into you and all of a sudden you've got shingles
0: what are some of the reactions
6: well i mean again everything's always got redness soreness at the injection site and sometimes what they've seen with the shingles vaccine is at the injection site you'll see some blisters which look like an early case of shingles or an early case of chickenpox you know just a sort of fever blister looking like things and sometimes and again not very common at all. You'll see a few of these spotted about your body, but you won't get a case of shingles. You won't get pain. You won't get that whole, you know, ugly area that you wind up getting. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you.
1: Sure. Thank you for calling, Carol. Yeah. One one thing about shingles too. Uh, so it's it's caused by the same virus that causes chickenpox. But a lot of people don't realize if you've had chickenpox. Uh, The virus, you you clear the virus, but you don't clear it completely. So the virus is able to hide out in some of the nerves in your spinal cord that come out to the body. And for whatever reason, should your immunity uh, go down, that could be from, you know, just getting older. Our immune systems don't work as well as they should as we get older. Or if you're, you know, if you're taking chemo, there's lots of different reasons why your immune system may go down, a serious illness, stress, Uh, those Particles, those uh, varicella particles, uh, the viral particles, they get reactivated, and then they pop out along that nerve, which is why you have all kinds of funny distributions of that rash on your body. Um, and you know, somebody who's had shingles is at risk for getting shingles again. So that's a common uh, misconception, I think, about um, about the shingles vaccine and who. Uh, you know, who uh, needs to get it. And some people would say, well, I've gotten shingles. I don't really need to get it. But it's those are the people who would be at at risk uh, as much as the general population, maybe even more since they've had it once. So um, let's go to Mary in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Mary. Hey,
4: yes, this is Mary Jane Gidry from Hattiesburg.
1: Thank you for calling.
4: Yeah, I've got just some statements. I worked uh, actually worked with Dr. Feldman in the um, pediatric emergency room years ago in the eighties. One concern I have, I was in nursing school. Myself, I had a vaccine injury from the DTP. I had seizures the day of and the doctors told my parents it was from the vaccine and to not get that um, particular vaccine. And then in nursing school, we learned to ask the families if there were seizures in the family not to go with that vaccine. And then it was also on nursing board, um, a question. Today, and it's also, it is in the, the drug insert, the DTP insert, that it may cause seizures. And that's a contraindication. Okay, now mothers are telling me today, you can't ask that. You can't, if you say, my child has seizures, they're going to, you know, they don't care. You you still have to get the DTP. What has changed? Another question, when I worked in the pediatric emergency room, we had a a sign up, if your child has a rash, they were to notify the nurse. We'd go to the front desk or the door outside, and we could, we could identify, oh, that's chickenpox. We would give them dial soap, tell them to cut their fingernails. Go home. It's going to be okay. You're not. It's not life threatening. If you look at the little pediatric handbook that they used back then, it was, it was called the Bible for the pediatric residents. Chickenpox, measles, all of those things were not considered life threatening like they act like it is today. The chickenpox before the vaccine, uh, we encouraged families to invite your friends over, everybody get the chicken pox. I think if we had more chicken pox in children today, we would not be seeing all of the shingles that we see in the grandparents, the older population, or or people my age. It wasn't something to be so afraid about. Um, a lot has changed. Another thing, in, when I worked in the pediatric ER, we we would see the uh, the kids with cancer. We'd keep them there until a room was ready. Anyone who had um, a low immune system, we kept them away from the people getting vaccines in the clinic because people that have been given the vaccines recently, they are actually shedding the vaccine. That's another issue that is not talked about is the shedding of these viruses. Um people act like unvaccinated children are walking around with diseases they are not someone that's been recently vaccinated they are walking around shedding the vaccine the viruses so another point is um if you've got a vaccine injured child look for t-a-c-a now.org that's taca there's a ton of doctors around the country that know how to help reverse vaccine injury. I'd like to get that information out there. They're called MAP doctors, metabolic and pediatric special need doctors.
6: There's a mistake that you made, and that's about the shedding. Um, you don't shed these viruses. Let me just say it's been shown clearly that the measles vaccine you don't shed. You don't shed the rubella vaccine, a German measles vaccine, or the mumps vaccine. The only time you shed... The chickenpox vaccine would be if you get some spots on your skin, which you can easily cover up. So this idea of people being vaccinated and shedding it and exposing people is a fallacy. That's 100% wrong. You don't shed the pneumococcal vaccine. Uh, You don't shed the meningitis vaccine. You don't shed the whooping cough vaccine. All that's a myth. That has nothing to do with... The spread of disease, the vaccines don't cause the disease.
1: You know, another thing about chickenpox, too, I should, you know, certainly most people who got chickenpox, even if they didn't die from it, which would be the worst thing, there are complications from it. And if you think about, you know, any time your child gets sick, uh, they're going to have to come home. Uh, you're going to have to deal with that, you're going to be out of work. It's a big cost to that, too. Uh, But from from the health standpoint, um, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, I had varicella pneumonia when I had chickenpox as a kid. And uh, I was in the hospital for a couple of days. And while it's true that a lot of those diseases uh, you could uh, assess, you know, certainly the assessment of those uh, and to make sure that child is doing okay it's not innocuous. Everybody who had chickenpox, uh, you know, didn't just have a fever. There were a lot of complications from that. Uh, and before we had the vaccine, you had over eleven thousand hospitalizations a year from chickenpox alone. So, I mean, that that not everybody is going to have that. And you know, from a f- from a pediatrician standpoint or from a parent standpoint, one child uh, who dies from something is one too many. So let's uh real quick let's go. Let's go to Pat and Macomb. Pat. we've got about one minute. Do You have a question
3: uh, Yes, I'm concerned about aluminum uh in vaccines. I know that it's never been approved for intra uh sub no, intramuscular or subcutaneous injections, and it's in all vaccines and I know it's 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 pretty dangerous. There's been a study about alzheimer's and and, um, and and aluminum. Why is it in all vaccines?
6: It's not in all vaccines. It's not in any of the live virus vaccines because aluminum would wind up affecting the, the vaccine. So it's not in all vaccines. And in fact, there's a trend to get away from any aluminum in any of the vaccines. So no, it's not in all vaccines.
1: Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank all our callers and special thanks to Dr. Feldman for joining us this morning as we try to address some of those main concerns about uh, vaccinations. If you wanted to call, uh, you can certainly email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and I'm Dr. Jimmy, and I want to thank Jay White and Sam Wells doing heavy duty in the booth this morning back and forth. You can join in uh, next week at 11 to hear Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for MPB's Here and Now. Here and Now. Thank you. (laughs)
5: Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app. More at bcbsms.com.
2: Temperatures across the Mid-South, either at or below average temperatures, are definitely feeling the difference.